You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuts. All right, folks, Managing Leadership Anxiety podcast. What we do on this show is we help you notice, name, and diffuse chronic anxiety. That's the whole point of the show. Sometimes it's just me on the episode, like today. No guest today, just me, and probably a brief episode. Sometimes I have guests on the show. Fantastic guests, including the ones coming up. Howard and Holly Satterthwaite from Westminster Chapel in London. Incredible pastors doing this amazing work in urban London. Like Mark Sayers, that incredible Aussie genius, uh, probably most famously known from the This Cultural Moment podcast, also the author of multiple books. Like Dr. Angie Ward, dear friend of mine, Angie and her husband Dave, lives just down the road. Angie Ward, who was talking about women in leadership before it was cool to talk about women in leadership. She was absolutely an early pioneer. They're coming up on the show. Today you've got me, and this is episode 130. Now, some of you who are very particular, you might be saying to yourself, Hey, self, what happened to episode 129? Man, I'm glad you asked. I've done something like 85 or 90 guest interviews in the long, lustrous journey of the MLA podcast. And episode 129, we ran into a tech glitch. So I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry for my guest. We had a wonderful interview. And uh, I reached out to her this week and apologized and said, we'd love to try again. So she'll be back getting interviewed in August and we'll release her episode in the fall. But we couldn't call this one episode 129. Look, at this point, most of you don't care, but I got to finish what I started. Uh, we couldn't call this one episode 129 because podcasting exists in a weird relationship with the space time continuum, in that some of the future episodes I've already recorded in the past, they're in the can. They're uh, waiting for my trusty audio engineer, Eric Conyers, to grab and do his magic with before we release them into the world. And so we couldn't, with the numbering system, would have gotten messed up. So there's no episode 129. This is episode 130, Managing Leadership Anxiety. And today, just some absolute fundamentals. We're going to talk about noticing, naming, and diffusing, and what that system is. And then we're going to talk about the four spaces of anxiety. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is to show how Jesus navigated the four spaces of anxiety. All right, before we do, a couple of key things. Today, I get to be with my Ignatian prayer group. Uh, the highlight of my month for me is when I'm with my Ignatian prayer group. It's a large group. I don't know, there's probably 40 of us, I guess, that we gather, we receive teaching. Then we get some time of solitude and silence and stillness uh, by ourselves. And then we get into a small group, uh, my band of brothers in my case. And then in the off weeks, we meet with a spiritual director one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, those of you who've been following along on my journey, you know that uh, when I joined the Assignation Prayer Group, which has been such a gift from God to me, they gave me a candle. And they said, okay, you're going to light this candle uh, anytime two things are true. The first is when you notice God's presence. When you're keenly aware of God's presence, just light a candle as a way of celebrating and recognizing that you know God's with you. And then the second reason is when you really need to remember God's presence. And so I've got my candle here. I'm now on my fourth candle. <clears throat> I'm going to light it just in the recognition 
by faith that God is with us. God is with me. God is with you uh, right now. And it really doesn't matter if you believe that or not. God's presence is not swayed by our opinion. It really doesn't matter so much if you feel it or not. I, I know what it's like to grapple with the silence of God and the perceived absence of God. It's an awful thing. I've spent a lot of my life doing that. And so that's a, that's a painful thing, and that can be a very lonely experience. But still, in spite of how we feel or what we see, in spite of what we're holding on to right now or what's holding on to us, God is with us. So I light this candle in faith that God is as close to me right now as the light that I see in this candle. I also remember as I breathe, as I just pause and breathe, that God is with us right now. God is as close to us as the air we breathe, in and out. God is as essential to us as the oxygen in our lungs. I remember reading somewhere that God's name in the Old Testament, you know, the name that can't be spoken, Yahweh. I don't remember where I read this. I think it was some Jewish rabbi that was saying that Yahweh is essentially the sound of a human breathing in and out. You know, like, Yahweh. I don't know if that's true or not, but boy, I've found tremendous comfort in the simple idea that every one of us could be breathing the name of God, confessing, if you will, with our lips and our lungs, the name of God. That, just, that helps me. Because the fact is that one of the chief competitors for the awareness of God is chronic anxiety. Chronic anxiety, and that's what we talk about on this show. That's what we specialize in. Before I get into chronic anxiety, can I just have a word about my, pumpkin, uh, my, my candle here? I'm a little self-conscious about this candle, and there's really no need for me to tell you because it's an audio podcast. You can't see the candle, but it's a vanilla pumpkin candle, and I'm recording this podcast in the dead of winter. And I, I don't know how I feel about a pumpkin candle when it's not fall. I'll be honest, I don't mean to alienate some of you. I don't know how I feel about pumpkin as a general species. And as a man, is it okay for a man to light a vanilla pumpkin candle? I guess so. Anyway, that's the candle I, I found. And uh, the reason I chose this one is my last two candles didn't last very long. They, it turns out they were rapidly burning. I don't know if that was because of my anxiety. I spent most of January pretty anxious, uh, honestly, as I'm trying to learn this new endeavor. After 26 years of full-time local church leadership, I'm now on this new endeavor and I spent a lot of January really anxious and working too much and worrying too much. And so I, <laughs> I burned through my candles pretty quick, two candles in one month. <laughs> uh, February, I thought, okay, I need a bigger candle. And here's this vanilla pumpkin candle, and we'll see how long it lasts. Obviously, this episode's coming out in March. And uh, yeah, just as an update, I'm doing better. I think I'm becoming more attentive to God. Uh, I think I'm going back to my tools and, and noticing quicker when I'm not noticing God. And also, the Lord just continues to provide in incredible ways. I'm as busy as I can stand and trying to figure out how to juggle and, and build a new schedule and all of the stuff that comes with something that's new. So for my new listeners, what we do in this podcast, we talk about chronic anxiety. Chronic anxiety is unique. It's different than trauma. It's different than grief. And it's different from the anxiety that requires medicine because chronic anxiety is built on assumptions and it's also built on false belief. The reason we get chronically anxious is when we assume things about ourselves, 
about other people and about God. And anytime those assumptions are not true, generated by false belief, what fills us is chronic anxiety. It's a clinical thing. You can Google it. It's known in systems theory, which is the theory I study and teach. What's unique about chronic anxiety, it's the only form of anxiety that's contagious. Isn't that something? That's why often in relationships you get anxious because you've made an assumption about the person or they have put an assumption on you on how they think you should be. The reason I spent my life studying it is because it really helped me as a chaplain to notice the spread of anxiety in a group. But then I noticed as a pastor, like, man, a lot of people put a lot of assumptions on me because I'm a pastor. Like, you think about it, many people when they first come to your church, they know you first as a pastor before they know you as a human. And they bring with them, of course, all these expectations and assumptions on what a pastor is and isn't. If you're a chronic people pleaser like I am, you're not careful. You can spend your whole time just scurrying around trying to live up to people's assumptions and expectations. And also, of course, their assumptions and expectations can infect you, right? They, they collude with the assumptions and expectations that you carry about yourself. For example, if you're a pastor, what you think it means to be an effective pastor. So chronic anxiety, that's my field. And also when I discovered that it's based on false belief, I got so excited because I've given my life, I've bet my life on the gospel of Jesus Christ because I believe that you can know truth and truth can set you free. What we do in our journey of chronic anxiety, I'll dig into this more in another episode, is we notice when we're anxious, which is not as easy as you might think. We name what makes us anxious. We try to diagnose the source of our anxiety. And then we diffuse it or displace it with life-giving habits, with certain systems theory tools. Uh, That's kind of the pattern. Notice, name, diffuse. Notice, name, diffuse. Over and over again. First in yourself, and then eventually, when you're comfortable, you try to help others do the same. And that's the path we're all on, on managing leadership anxiety. Some of you, all you do is listen to this podcast. Others of you have read my book, Managing Leadership Anxiety. If you've not read the book, you can get it anywhere books are sold, Amazon, etc. And then some of you have taken the extra step of joining my online community because you've realized that you can't read or listen your way to change. You need a whole path. And what I've done um, for the last 10 years is built a path that anybody can walk to go from being managed by anxiety to managing it. A path of noticing, naming, and diffusing in all of these ways. I've been teaching it at my church for 10 years now. And then last year, I launched it in an online community, CapableLife.me, www.CapableLife.me. And so before I get into today's topic, Uh, I suppose an infomercial, because what I know to be true is you cannot read your way to change and you cannot listen your way to change. If you look at the life of Jesus, think about it. He never assigned a book. He never gave his disciples anything to study. He never assigned them a podcast. I mean, that's for darn sure. What he did is he gave them a path to walk. He gave them something to embody, something to do. We know that discipleship is an embodied experience. It's a path you walk. It's not necessarily something you read. Now, I'm not spinning on reading. I'm a voracious reader myself. I love to read. But what I know to be true is reading alone will not change me. I have to bravely embody it. So in Capable Life, what I've done is created 
the whole package for you where there's tools broken down into 10 minute videos. There's self-reflection and self-assessments. You actually fill out a self-assessment and it emails itself to you. That's why right now a number of groups are joining up for Capable Life together. We've got entire staffs joining. Uh, Compassion Australia, shout out to my friends at Compassion Down Under who've all signed up together for Capable Life. Because when you get these self-assessments, now you can bring your self-assessment to each other. You can talk about it. I've also created an online confidential discussion forum where you can talk about anything you want. You can post a case. You can post a question. And me or my coaches will come in and help you with it. So it's 10-minute videos. It's self-assessments. It's confidential forum. And then finally, it's monthly Zooms where you can either join a watch party and watch videos together and then it's facilitated discussion. Or you can jump on with a coach and ask a question and join groups. It's amazing. Capable Life. It's 28 US dollars a month. As of this podcast, we have about 460 members from 15 different countries. It's this incredible global community. It's one of my favorite things I offer. And it's also honestly the best thing I offer. So capablelife.me, that's the website. It's 28 a month, 280 a year if you want to save some coin. I bring that up because if if you've been listening to this show and you're wanting deeper freedom, you know, you're wanting a deeper level of transformation, that means you're going to have to walk a path. And while, of course, I'm not the only person with a path like this, uh, Capable Life is my best path. And I want to invite you to jump on that today. Uh, you know, when's the right time to join? Well, really, whenever you're ready for relief, that's the right time to join. So chronic anxiety, it's contagious. It's the only kind of anxiety that's contagious. Grief is not contagious. Maybe you're saying, well, wait a minute, like I've been with a grieving person and I've come away anxious. Right, that's right. You didn't catch their grief. What happened is you felt like a false belief that you should do something when someone's grieving or that you should know what to do or know what to say and you didn't know what to do and didn't know what to say, and so you were filled with what's clinically called chronic anxiety. That's why you came away from the grieving person anxious. If somebody has ever shared their trauma with you, and you were anxious, it's not that you caught their trauma, it's that you ran into your assumption about yourself. Or maybe they put an assumption on you. Maybe they're struggling with their trauma so much they were expecting that you could take it away, and you caught their expectation. All right, isn't that something? Chronic anxiety, it's fascinating. Chronic anxiety, contagious. And what we do is I help people notice chronic anxiety spreading in four spaces. So this is our tool for today, the four spaces of chronic anxiety, and then a little devotional at the end showing how Jesus actually intentionally navigated the four spaces. For my veteran listeners, I don't think this is new. For my new listeners, it might be, and of course, for my Capable Life veterans, boy, you're all over this one. But chronic anxiety exists and spreads in four spaces. The space inside me, the space between me and another person, the space inside the other person, and the space between other people. These are the four spaces. Space in me, number one. Space between me and another, that's number two. Space inside the other person, that's space number three. The space between other people, space number four. Let me go through them really quickly and then let's talk about how Jesus navigated them. Okay, space number one, the space in me. That's the assumptions and false beliefs I carry about myself. Things like the belief that I should always know what to do in any situation, the belief that everyone should like me no matter what. 
in my case famously, the belief that every sermon I ever preach must be the best sermon you've ever heard. And when I don't live up to those beliefs or those assumptions, then what happens next is chronic anxiety. This is why chronic anxiety is less to do with worry and fear. It's more to do with reactivity. Reactivity, that's the best way to understand it. And so what you can just ask yourself real quick is, okay, when I get reactive, do I get bigger or smaller, typically? So in my case, I get bigger. I tend to take charge. I tend to use more words. (laughs) I tend to listen to fix, things like this. So that's the space in me. Uh, Second space, the space between me and another. You know, if you think of every significant relationship in your life, one of our capable life coaches, Brendan Reed, the way he teaches it, he says it's almost like there's an extension cord connected between you and there's just electricity freely running between the two of you. It's like you're connected to each other and you end up reacting to each other, sometimes because of what is said, but more often because of the way each other relates. And so chronic anxiety spreads between people when we infect each other with our assumptions, our unspoken values, our judgments, and so on. This can explain most workplace conflicts. This can explain almost every marriage conflict. It's the space between you and another. So one of the things you can do this week is start to notice anxiety spreading in the four spaces. Notice when it's welling up in you, but also notice when it's coming at you from another person. And of course, because we're not egomaniacs on on managing leadership anxiety, you have to also notice when you're generating anxiety that someone else is catching. So that's space number two, between you and the other. Space number three, the space inside the other. Now, out of the four spaces, this is the one space you can do nothing about. And yet, for many of us, it's the one space you spend so much of your energy on. The space inside another person. Anytime you're thinking about what someone else is thinking about, you're in third space. So, for example, maybe you had a conversation and you walked away and you regret what you said. You start thinking about, oh, I wonder what they think about that. Or sometimes if you're frustrated with somebody, it's not, what are they thinking? It's, what were they thinking? It's, it's more exacerbated, right? Like, what were they thinking? Why did they do it that way? Uh, when I work with addicts and addicts who have loved ones, people battling addiction, sometimes the loved one, not the addict, but the person who loves the addict, Spend so much time in third space trying to worry your way to their sobriety, right? If I just worry and think harder and act differently, maybe they'll get sober. That's third space. It's the one space you can't change because it's, the, it's, it's what we call holy ground. It's the space between that person and God. Only God can change another person. The fourth space is the space between others. There's two ways to look at this space. The first one is particularly if you're a type A driven leader or particularly if you're in majority culture, like in my case, I'm a white man, I'm majority culture. One of the interesting tools is just to notice how you change a room just by walking into it. In other words, there was something going on in that room before you showed up. I had to learn this keenly as a chaplain. Obviously, Typically, when I walked into a room, there was already something very tender going on in that room. And if I wasn't attentive to it, I would stomp all over it or or I would infect it. So that's one way uh, you can look at it. Uh, The other way is maybe the most classic example of fourth space. The simplest example is 
Let's say that you're in some kind of a small group and maybe you've gotten started and you're in a really deep conversational. Let's say that somebody is really bearing their soul and it's quite tender and vulnerable. And then Jim walks in, right? But Jim's late and he's self-conscious that he's late. And so what he does is because he's self-conscious, in other words, his first space, the space in gym is flooded because maybe Jim has an assumption about himself that it's embarrassing to be late, for example. What Jim can do if he's not careful is he's not aware of fourth space. He just kind of blunders in and he makes a joke about being late or he's kind of loud. Oh, hi, everyone. Sorry, weather was terrible or traffic was bad or whatever he says. But he's infected fourth space. Like whoever was sharing vulnerably is now shut down. It's a very powerful leadership tool. And frankly, guys, it's a very simple leadership tool to pay attention to fourth space. What's going on between others before I entered the space? And learning how to shapeshift yourself for those first couple of minutes so that you can join that space and not necessarily infect it. Now, of course, yes, sometimes you intentionally want to infect it, but at least doing it deliberatively rather than reactively makes you more powerful. Maybe you've also noticed, like what I've noticed is one of the bummers of being a pastor is people change their behavior around me. That's fourth space. I've been to a number of parties of members of my church where everyone's having fun until Steve arrives, right? Like I walk in the door and I join a circle of guys and sometimes they'll even say it. Oh, well, I was going to tell this joke, but now Steve's here. I'm not going to because I'm a pastor as if like I'm God's cop or something. Now, first of all, I hate that. I, I feel very self-conscious. I don't feel like God's cop. I don't operate that way. I don't want that job. Uh, it really drives me crazy when people treat me anything other than as a human being. It drives me nuts. But that's another example of fourth space is the way that I show up. And because of my role in society or whatever, it's changed the room. And of course, I'm being somewhat naive, right? Like if the Queen of England walked into the room, that's definitely going to infect every space. But don't you think, all right, well, let me go on a tangent. I, I was listening to Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights. It's uh, his autobiography. And someone told me, uh, my friend Ron Johnson said, hey, if you're going to get that book, make sure you get the audible because Matthew narrates it and it's a hoot. And holy smokes, it really is. It's a good time. But he said something really profound, Matthew McConaughey. This relates to fourth space. He talked about his breakout film was A Time to Kill. And he'd been in movies before, like Dazed and Confused. But he said it was interesting, the weekend before A Time to Kill was released, it's Saturday morning, he walks down to the local breakfast taco bar in his town, and he orders breakfast tacos, and he says there's about 300 people milling around, and he said 295 of them ignored me, and five of them knew who I was. In other words, he's a very relatively unknown Hollywood actor. He said, that night, A Time to Kill gets released. The next Saturday morning, I walk to the same taco bar that I'd walked to for years. There's about 300 people there, and 295 of them know who I am, and five of them don't. And he said, from that moment on, he said, anytime I meet someone, I no longer have to tell them my name. And he said, it's dehumanizing because they treat me like we know each other. And so all of the normal social get-to-know-you interactions are gone for me. He said the most common thing is someone will like slap me on the shoulder and say, Matthew, as if we're old friends, but they don't ask my name and I, I no longer have to give them my name. That's a great simple example of fourth space. Anytime Matthew McConaughey walks into any room, he changes the room. 
And don't you think just once in a while, famous people like that would crave just normal human interaction? But people go gaga over him. They make him superhuman. Oh, you've changed my life, that performance or whatever. Or they want something from him, an autograph or a selfie or whatever. That's another example of fourth space. So that's the four spaces, the space in me, the space between me and the other, the space inside the other, and then the fourth space, the space between others. So a couple of questions you can ask yourself. Which space am I most naturally attentive of? Out of those four spaces, which one do I spend the most time in? And then, of course, the second question, well, which space am I least aware of? And if you can operate in your world, noticing the four spaces, you can be such a powerful human being. You can really help navigate because not only does anxiety spread freely in those four spaces, but so does calm presence and so does God's presence. But what's interesting about chronic anxiety is I've come to believe it's the number one competitor in our lives for awareness of God. When you are filled with chronic anxiety, it is very, very difficult for you to be aware of God's presence. It's not that God isn't with you. It's not that God's gone. It's that it's hard to notice that God is with you. But God is in these four spaces as well. And if you can notice when you're anxious, then you can pause and relax. Relax into the presence of God. That's what we were intentionally doing at the beginning of this podcast when I lit my now infamous vanilla pumpkin out of season. It even says fall collection on the label. Oh man, I'm looking at it right here. Look at that. The signature fall collection. Gosh, guys, who will, who will save me from this body of death? Anyway, that's what we were doing at the beginning of the podcast when we lit the candle. It's just a, a keen pausing and awareness of the presence of God that spreads in these four spaces. So if you can notice each of the four spaces, you might be saying, well, how do I notice the third space? You told me not to notice it. Well, what you're noticing is when you've crossed into it. And then you're simply giving those people to God and, and letting them be free. All right. So as we wrap up, let's talk about Jesus in the four spaces. This is actually a future book I plan to work on. Don't know that it'll be a properly published book. It might be just a brief ebook. I'm not sure I can get a whole book out of it, but I am interested in reading the Gospels devotionally through the four spaces. And uh, just as we're passing, just a few thoughts on Jesus as he navigated the four spaces. Okay, space number one, the space inside Jesus. One of the earliest examples, Mark one thirty-five. Uh, Mark, of all the gospel writers, the most attentive to Jesus' first space. Time and time again in Mark, while it was still early, Jesus got up and went away to a quiet place. Right? That's, that's it. Jesus got up and went away to a quiet place to be with the Father. That's Jesus working on first space. Also, you'll notice in the Gospels the amount of times that Jesus pulls the disciples away from the crowds. The assumptions and the expectations and the false belief of others, the crowds, Jesus pulled them away and said, let's get away. Let's go somewhere quiet. First space. One of the most fascinating examples of first space, I think, is when Jesus is aware of the first space in the Garden of Gethsemane. His disciples are there. He's begging them to pray. They're falling asleep. They're letting him down. And he is so distraught because he's no longer in chronic anxiety, of course. He's now in what's clinically called acute anxiety, life and death anxiety. His life is about to come to end. He knows it's going to be tremendous suffering ahead. 
And so like anyone would, he's highly, highly anxious. You know, this isn't the time for him to look at his assumptions and false beliefs. This is a different form of anxiety called acute anxiety, life and death. From that highly anxious state to when he's in front of Pontius Pilate, his first space is now calm, aware, and present. It's stunning to me that he's able to be fully engaged with Pilate, have a philosophical conversation about the nature of truth, not feel like he has to defend himself. He was clearly on mission. Just amazing. Right, second space. One of my favorite second space stories about Jesus is when he's 12 years of age and Mary and Joseph had left him behind at the temple, right? They're three days gone and they realize, oh man, we've lost the son of God. This is not good. And they rush back like any parent would when you've lost your child. And they're frantic. And if you notice it, of course, they're putting their anxiety on Jesus. Anxiety is contagious and they're trying to put it on Jesus. And, you know, what were you doing? What were you doing? And Jesus very calmly does not catch their anxiety, but just defines himself when he says, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Second space. It's interesting to notice how, how Jesus was so good at rejecting the assumptions of others if they did not, did not line up with truth, if they did not line up with what he was about. Third space, the space that we say is God's alone. Of course, Jesus roams freely in third space because Jesus is God. And so we have John chapter 4, the woman at the well. When Jesus enters a conversation with her, which itself was scandalous, the Samaritan woman, and uh, Jesus says to her, why don't, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, well, you're right about that because you've had five and the man you would now is not your husband. And then the next thing she does is she changes the subject. She's like, well, what's your favorite worship song, right? <laughs> but Jesus is in third space. God knows our thoughts. You know, that's so threatening to us, isn't it? that God knows our thoughts. But when you look at the way Jesus treats our thoughts, it's actually an invitation to deeper intimacy to God. Like, I don't think when Jesus told the woman that she'd had five, five husbands and the man she's with now is not a husband, I don't see much accusation in Jesus' voice. I don't see much condemnation. More of, a, more of an invitation to say, why don't, we, why don't we lose the pretense and let's be human here. Let's have an actual unpretentious conversation. And so Jesus knows your thoughts and my thoughts. He knows what's on our heart. He knows what's heavy on our hearts. So I'm just going to pause here before we get to fourth space, the final space, and just invite you, uh, if you're driving, you know, keep your eyes open, but just invite you if you can and it's safe to take everything out of your hands and just have your hands in a releasing posture. If you're driving, maybe one hand on the wheel and one hand releasing. And if, if there's something you're worried about right now, if there's something you're anxious about, something that you've got a tight grip on, that you know God is inviting you to trust God with, just the time to give that to God right now. And in the same way, while your hand or hands are open, that puts them in a receiving posture. Jesus says that God loves to give good gifts to his kids. So if there's something you would like to receive from God, you can ask God for that right now. All right. Fourth space. It's fascinating to me how often Jesus was keenly aware of the anxiety between others. And I think one of the most 
poignant examples. I mean, last episode, I mentioned Luke 24 and Cleopas. For sure, that's going on. But I think my favorite example is actually John chapter 8, the woman caught in the act of adultery. You know, it's not lost on the on John, the gospel writer. It's not lost on us that it takes two to commit adultery, but only one is caught because it really wasn't about the adultery. The religious leaders of the day, unfortunately, like some religious leaders today, were not above exploiting a human being for a different reason, for their own agenda. And so they take this woman and they're ready to not just exploit her, but kill her. They have stones in their hands. And Jesus willingly walks into an armed, violent mob to protect somebody in a vulnerable population. This is why I think. Uh, it's essential that Christians today are in the act of solidarity with people who are vulnerable and people who are marginalized, particularly those of us in majority culture who have a lot of cultural power. I think it's essential that we use that power, steward that power on behalf of marginalized and under-resourced and minority culture. It's what Jesus did. And so here he is seeing an armed violent mob He actually willingly puts himself in danger and stands in front of the woman. And uh, that's fourth space. He steps into it to change that space. And boy, does he ever. When he uses curiosity, it's Trisha Taylor from The Leader's Journey. Trisha Taylor and her partner, Jim, uh, Jim Harrington, both been on this show before. Amazing, amazing systems theorists. It's Trisha Taylor who says that the opposite of anxiety isn't calm. The opposite of anxiety is curiosity. And here we see Jesus of Nazareth again using curiosity to disarm anxiety, lowers the group anxiety until they walk away. And it's just him and that woman. And then just that most poignant interaction when he asks another curious question, who condemns you? He asks, and she says, no one, sir. And then the one who could condemn her, the actual judge of the universe says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Just beautiful. So that's the episode today, folks. Four spaces. Remember, it's notice, name, and diffuse. So that's what you're doing. And you're noticing the four spaces. You're trying to name the source of anxiety and you're trying to diffuse it. And uh, if you're listening to this and say, well, tell me how to do that. How do I do that? Uh, The best way I know how to help you do that is honestly, jump on Capable Life. Uh, what are you waiting for? You know, p- part of the problem with Capable Life is I don't market it well because as I study online marketing, online marketing raises your anxiety to get you to purchase. And I'm all about lowering your anxiety. So we're not going anywhere. All I can ask you is when are you ready for relief? And if you want to know how to name it, if you want to learn all of the sources of anxiety and how to actually diagnose what's going on, one of my Capable Life members, Richard, posted on Twitter this week where he said, hey, I win for Capable Life. I actually noticed that I was in a double bind and he was able to detangle the anxiety in the moment and actually be free and help the people too. Uh, That's what we do. That's what we do. So go to CapableLife.me. Why don't you sign up? You can join for a month, join for a year and start getting to that naming and diffusing. I guarantee you, you'll get some relief right away. All right, folks. Great to chat with you. Thanks for listening in. Look forward to the next one. For more resources, visit stevecusswords.com or missyoualliance.org.